If you're studying for the CISSP, CCSP, or CISM certification, you'll probably get a lot of benefit from the WANA Practice app at wanapractice.com. Hundreds of practice questions unavailable anywhere else, all in a simple interactive format, which you can access through any device with a browser. Check out the show notes for a discount code for half off the regular price. Wanna practice? Success and certification is in your hands. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec, where we discuss all things information, all things security, and all things information security. I'm Ben Maliso. And I'm Matt Snotty. And I'm Raphael Fiedler. And this week, our sponsor is the Indoubtable, no, Indomitable, that's a better word, <laughs> Dodge. Since the year 1900, Dodge has been a mainstay of automotive manufacturing known particularly for their performance cars and dependable trucks. From Mopar to Ram to SRT, Dodge lines have been synonymous with the driving experience. Today, with its new line of electric muscle platforms, Dodge continues the legacy well into the 21st century, offering robust vehicles for every kind of driver. No matter what kind of ride you're looking for, take a look at Dodge. Tear up the streets, not the planet. Woo-hoo. Yeah, I, I, I didn't make up that tagline. <laughs> that was Dodge's advertising agency. And there's actually a really good website that does a, a rating of all of the, uh, was it Stellakind? Um, and Stellaris. Uh, Stellaris. Stellantis. Stellantis. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Stellantis, Stellantis. And Chrysler. Yeah. Uh, all of their promos for all of their brands, uh, this website rates all of them because some of them are just even worse than that one. Um, <laughs> but that's okay. We still love our Dodge. Way to go, yep. Dodge. I've had I've had several Dodge and Plymouth vehicles over the years. Oh, Plymouth. That's uh, a that's a callback right there. They don't make ain't those it, anymore. though? No, they don't. No, they don't. I tend to buy vehicles uh, for brands that are not going to exist very soon. Um, what are you driving had, at the moment? I've had an Eagle. I've had a AMC. couple of Dodges. I had Pontiac, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm driving a Toyota right now, Rafti. So I think, <laughs> okay, well, I think I'm okay. I think unless so, anyone's looking out there to short a stock based on the next Godzilla invasion of Japan, I think we're that's, okay. But I wanted to say, if you hold any Toyota stock, maybe now is the time to jump ship. <laughs> Who knows? He's <laughs> driving a Toyota. <laughs> it, it could be. It could be. And um, I, I, I did right, want to say, do... I, I did just buy 10 shares of, of uh, Stellantis, Stellaris, whatever they're yeah, called. Stellantis. No, Stellantis. Stellantis. 10, 10 shares of their stock this morning uh, because they've been very good to me. If, you, if you're looking for a, a good work car, I cannot recommend the Dodge Charger Hellcat more, <laughs> more than <or> enough. <laughs> There's a 700 horsepower four-door beast, and it's been my work car for... Uh, that's six years great commuting vehicle yes yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely it's a, very it's, fuel efficient and it's good for picking the kids up at school you know yeah and i can imagine yeah yep all yeah. right well yeah, excellent go, excellent go, go, um, this week we, we've got more current events right yep. this week um yeah. and rafti you brought a couple to us you want to you want to kick off the show with the first one go sure. ahead and describe it so September 20th uh, from Bleeping Computer, this is where I got the information from, but Signal has actually a blog post about this. Uh, Signal added quantum-resistant encryption to its end-to-end encrypted messaging protocol. So I this started to look cool. into this. Now, now first, first yeah. just as a reminder for those listeners who may not have been following us on every episode in the past, um, Signal is what, Rafti? What is Signal? <laughs> I wanted, I was thinking if I should make a joke here, but it's a messaging <laughs> platform like um, uh, WhatsApp or uh, like iMessage or something. So you need to be on their, in their app. They used to have um, SMS capabilities as well, but at the moment it's just signal to signal. So it's basically like WhatsApp. Um, and it's cross-platform. It's on Android and iOS. 
Okay. So it's like Facebook Messenger. It's like, you know, I'm trying to put this in context for what, you know, Americans use. Um, uh, do you know how much market penetration it. Signal has? I don't know. No, I don't okay. know. But uh, WhatsApp uh, is using, so Meta's WhatsApp is using their protocol as well. So, okay. and, and we've talked about signal on a previous episode where we, where you especially pointed out that their end to end encryption, meaning encryption between the two parties who are communicating is stronger than most of the other industry alternatives. And therefore from a sensuous sounds of security standpoint, we were kind of endorsing signal as a good private secure alternative to some other messaging capability, right? Absolutely, especially because some people are um, like comparing it to Telegram, which is like very huge in a crypto, um, like cryptocurrency, not cryptography, crypto um, area. And Telegram is not good and, and with its crypto, huh, with its cryptography, crypto. You know. Gotcha. So. <laughs> All right, so so let's break this down. Let, let's break this down for our non-familiar listeners. End-to-end um, -end encryption encrypts the entirety of the message from one user to another, meaning intermediaries have a much harder time trying to break it, which is different than point-to-point -point encryption, which goes platform to platform, which allows all sorts of backdoors, allows the vendor to read the content, allows government to request access to the content and so forth. Um, so what, email is point-to-point -point encrypted, for instance, nowadays. Sure, like you sure. can encrypt between your email server and the the recipient's email server, and you can encrypt from your browser to your email server. But on the server, it's decrypted on your end, on their end. So anybody with access to that email, because we talked email last time, and we might do this episode as well. Um, like this is point-to-point -point encryption, basically. Yes, and and realistically, from from a security perspective, most of the time, for confidentiality, we prefer end-to-end -end encryption. Uh, that is the that is the preferred alternative. So now this this article is saying that Signal, the app, is starting to implement um, a post-quantum. Uh, form of encryption uh, using another standard that we also talked about in a previous episode. This is the the Kyber, isn't it? Yes, exactly. I wanted to bring that up as well. Okay, go ahead. I'm yes. sorry, I didn't mean to step on your glory. No, all is well. So right. they, you're right. We talked about this because Kyber is one of the ones that NIST actually is considering as uh, a standard. And um, I start to look into this because uh, some of the the uh, NIST already sort of like candidates have been um, already start to be implemented by vendors. For instance, we talked about Cloudflare in the past as well. And at least one of them has dropped already uh, as being apparently fairly easy to crack with. What, you mean with one, of, non... one of the proposed standards for post-quantum? Yes, exactly. Crypto? One of those proposed standards apparently is with non-quantum. So it might be very difficult to break with quantum technology, but it's fairly easy to crack with, with what we currently with existing have. existing like tech. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, with binary computers. And so um, this is the reason why I looked into NIST again and what their recommendation is. And apparently they dropped some of them. But Kyber is still running, so Kyber is still good. But because of that, um, Signal actually made the, the good choice, I think, to keep both encryptions going. Implement Kyber and still keep their current encryption method, which is, I don't know what's it, what it ba uh, is based on, but um, is have both of them at the same time. And so anybody who tries to decrypt these uh, messages, which are end-to-end -end encrypted, they need to decrypt both of those layers. Um, Good. to actually get Good. to the Defense messages. Defense in depth yeah. and crypto. Now that adds yes. more to overhead, but yeah. traffic capabilities are also keeping a pace with computing capabilities. So uh, that doesn't seem to be too onerous in terms of time to, to read messages, that sort of thing. I'm, I don't imagine there's a huge delay in people sending sup. You know, that <laughs> even if you encrypt that twice with two different ciphers, it's not a big deal. Um, I'd also go a step further. One of the things I really like in that bleeping computer article that you sent is they're they're talking about the future proofing problem and the reason why entities like Signal are adopting post quantum crypto now as opposed to waiting for when quantum computing becomes ubiquitous. Um, it's the steal today, decrypt tomorrow uh, approach that attackers might be having. 
if attackers can collect a whole bunch of data, even if that data is encrypted with modern cryptography, and even though attackers can't decrypt it with the tools they have right now, five years from now, 10 years from now, when quantum becomes uh, widely commercially available, they could start decrypting this backlog of stuff that they've been harvesting all of this time. Uh, and so Signal wants to get out ahead of this by saying, you know what? We're going to block even that quantum stuff that might show up five or 10 years from now. Um, I think that's very, very forward thinking, and I applaud Signal for doing that. Uh, do you know of any other outfits who are going this route, Rafti, the future proofing? I don't know. Uh, they might be um, like Signal has a fairly easy time in that regard because the, the difficult part is the exchanging of the keys because the keys get a lot bigger. And um, Signal is keeping the keys the same throughout the conversation. And if you if one of the keys changes or if it gets reset, you actually get a notification. And the other person does not get the backlog of those notifications. So this is how Signal is a little bit um, inconvenient. Um, like you lose your history if you if you get a new device because the keys change and the exchange has to be done anew. So this is for stuff like Signal, where the keys don't have to change that often, um, easier to implement. So I don't see it. Um, we thought about uh, at Safing implementing post-quantum, but for us, we need to, like, at each connection gets new keys. And so sending keys, which sometimes are a couple, like they can be a couple gigabytes in size, um, this is not feasible for us. At the moment, gotcha. Gotcha. That would, it's a little bit leaner in that regard. For us, it would be a major burden. So we are not doing it at the moment, um, and our what we send is less um, like urgent, probably as well. Like in regards to because like through Signal, sensitive stuff is supposed to be sent through. Um, but of course, like because they don't change the keys that often, you you know what this connection like between those people, you can figure out which connection this is. And then you can, uh, like with the with the other hacks we've seen in the past, like if you know this is insensitive communication, you can target that more specifically. Right, and so right. them being on the up and up is very good. And I, I'd like to see others implement that as well. As I said, uh, theoretically, WhatsApp is partly using their crypto, Signal's crypto already. They they had to adopt it, of course. It's not a drop-in replacement for them now as well. But I guess if they already put the work into sort of like adopt a Signal's um, like crypto once, uh, I, I think WhatsApp could be next to, to go that route. You know what I fucking love? They're still using Diffie-Hellman Key Exchange. That just, that floats my boat, man. That is, the, the <laughs> fact that, okay, we're going to add all this new state-of-the-art, next-gen, super high-tech, Star Wars-labeled stuff, but we're going to use this key exchange methodology that's been the same since, what, the 1950s? When when was Diff, when did Diffie and Hellman do their thing? It's been around for a long time. Uh, yeah. Was it 70s? Was it 70s? I, I, I thought it was 70s, but yeah, that's when a lot of that stuff seemed to be implemented, but yeah. 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 Um, uh, Rafi, really quick question. You kind of glossed over something, and I did not realize this. Are, are you accurate in saying that these keys are gigabytes in size? Yes, some of them can be. And, and this is Yes, that is insane. Um, well, it, it's a brave new world with quantum computing. Yeah, yeah. I get that. I, I get that. But <laughs> like my my phone has, you know, 256 gigabytes of, of storage on it. So you're saying that one 256 of it would just be a single key? <laughs> That's in, in some like I looked, I glanced over it. But when we looked into it, some of them and it all it all depends in regards to what you're looking for to protect and okay. and if it's but yes. Um, like but, but, but that key would can be, get big very fast. Yeah. So if I had the signal app, which I do on my phone, even though I don't use it, th does it store that key locally on the end user's device? So it has to for yeah. end to end for true. But hybrid is smaller, like yeah. hybrid is a, is a lot leaner. And yes, yeah. you have for each of the, the people you have an active chat going on your device ha have to have a key, a public key from them. So you can only have. 256 friends <laughs> right. on, your, on your current device. <laughs> now, now, when quantum computing on a quantum platform, even with the drive the same size, 
you'll have all those other subatomic yeah. um uh, characteristics you know you can have 256 charm friends and you can have, say yeah that's strange right. charm yeah. it's, exactly <laughs> i'll be your strange friends how's that <laughs> i think you already are i don't think we need i to am I, I better be at that. the top of that damn list <laughs> but ben what you're saying in regards to storage i heard um that apparently the storage is not getting so much cheaper anymore um like but apparently it, we see a flattening it's not going to matter but it's not going to matter the, even the same size of drive because you can go bitwise it, it's going to be the same size of drive will have so much more perspectives of volume which will allow more access to more data regardless of the actual physical implementation simply because you can look at different characteristics of the same um electrons and it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, like that 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 store now decrypt later um, drives haven't gotten like the the fast like decrease in storage price has stopped or stalled a little bit at the moment. Yeah, and, but um, but we've we've never run afoul of uh, uh, whose whose law was it? Moore's law. Moore's law. Yeah, we've never that's never been violated yet. I still sure, have confidence. But Moore's law is, is different because this is with transistors and stuff and physical storage still is a very manual stuff, uh, labor and it, it, you know, other constraints. And there's huge leaps and bounds and we'll get that. What is it? The carbon graphite stuff. We'll get that soon. It, it you know, I, I would imagine that any slowing right now is more of a result of economic uh, yes. behavior and attitude than it is uh, technological. So I, I'm, that doesn't worry me too much, as, again, especially as quantum continues. Um, but exactly. good. Let, let's talk about more future tech. Rafti, yep. you had another article about some <laughs> state-of-the-art uh, fufara going on and how it's butting up against the Middle Ages. Um, <laughs> uh, let's let's talk about a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's court. Tell us. Do tell. Okay. So apparently, like, there is an open court case against OpenAI uh, regarding OpenAI just, like, grabbing um, books and texts without asking for permissions with disregarding copyright law in, in that regard. And George R. R. Martin, among other authors, now joined this suit against OpenAI. And, and there's, um, there's several of these lawsuits by yes. various by various authors, artists, creators. And what are they claiming? They're saying that the people who are training large language models are taking their art, they're taking yes. the author's works and using it to train the AI, right? Absolutely, yeah. And, okay. And of course, yeah. So my big question is, are the, uh, is the estate of Shel Silverstein going to go and sue my kindergarten teacher for reading us uh the giving tree all those years ago i was trained with an author's copyrighted <laughs> work uh, no i think I, I think there's a there's a big a big leap in difference there how because because the the kindergarten teacher had a licensed copy of the of the work either from a library or purchased the book or something like that you know uh whereas these long large language models ostensibly being trained on the on these copyrighted works uh, and again i'm showing my ignorance with chat gpt and all these other uh, ais but ostensibly you could just ask that ai hey read me the first book of the hobbit because it's been trained on it and it would verbatim repeat the words or the text two different to two different two different uh issues though okay. um i i don't think that's what martin's suing martin's not martin and his ilk are not suing based on distribution uh, and reuse. They're suing based on the training that somebody read the book to the large language. Rafti, do I have that correct? I think so as well. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's also about like potentially lost income due to generation of new novels written in a style that is based on their work. Can you copyright um, a style? Yeah. <laughs> and, no. no, you cannot. A style, okay. No, and you then, cannot. Let me. Can you let copyright me... a title? I have no clue how. You cannot, how you cannot copyright a title. You cannot. I could write a book called "Gone with the Wind." 
Okay. I could. Uh, but and that's I won't, that, but yeah. Okay. Maybe just to, to roll back there, the the difference I'd say is um in regards to, to lending or like getting a book, I think that the Internet Archive, I think, what got into issue as well. Didn't we? Did we talk about this? Yeah. Yeah. Google, yeah, uh, Google about, Books or whatever the fuck it was called for a while. Yeah. About like the differences, like how are they allowed to lend the book? And as far as I can recall, if you have one physical copy, you are allowed to lend it to one, like digitally to one person or something, or at least this was. It was something like completely arbitrary. Yeah. It's like they pulled the agreement. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, if, I, but if I go and. If I go and buy a book and I got a couple of them, yeah. can I give that book to somebody else? Yeah, of course. Can I loan it to five different people over a period of five months? Yeah, of course. 50 people over 50 months? Sure, I can. Yeah. <laughs> I bought it. I, I'm trying to figure out if Martin has a leg to stand on here. The fact that they read it to an AI versus reading it to a five-year-old, I don't really know what the courts are going to say, but I think I think Martin's trying to make the wrong argument. And if what you're saying, Rafti, in the article that you did share, kind of suggested that they're concerned about derivative works. That's what yeah. that's what you were referring to. That's going to be utter and complete bullshit too. Um, you know, I've Let me just quickly, like from okay. a technical perspective, you're calling it reading it to the AI. But of course, how <laughs> a computer based. does that stuff, it needs to load in the book into its language model. So it, it does make a literal copy of the book. And so I'm not sure if you can just say, well, you never got a copy into your brain. You, you made, uh, or at least this is how we're like, how we're... Um, perceiving it and how you are getting it into your brain is different from <laughs> how an AI is like processing this sort of data. <laughs> for, for, for the listener, Ben has just gotten up from his desk, taken a book and is making a photocopy of pages on it to prove a point that no one can see except for me and Rafti. <laughs> of course, yeah. of course. But if he tries now to make money with that copy of the book that he's made, right? somebody yeah, yeah. will come yeah. knocking. Yeah. Yeah, he can. You can photocopy an entire book. Yeah, and he's holding up to the camera. Yes, you made a good job, Ben. You made a photocopy. Okay, Rafti. But you can't sell that photocopy for money. But they're exactly. not selling a photocopy. They're not copying the work. They're training the AI. And for that, it needed to be copied into the AI. That's what I'm saying. The process is. I copied this. If I read this to a five-year-old, I am not breaking any law. Not sure about that, though. See, I, I'm, I'm I, actually not sure. I am, though, Rafti. See, that's you the are? thing is, I am sure. Because a okay. lot of these books right here on this shelf were written by me, and I own the copyright, and I'm kind of familiar with the law and how it gets violated. And believe me, I'm as jealous and protective of my intellectual property rights as anyone else. But what these whiners are saying, if you really look at what they're saying, is they're saying, you're using my work to train this tool that could eventually replace me by generating products that will compete with me at some point. Absolutely. And that's why you that's why you were talking about like in my style or in my blah blah blah. Well, you know what? About half these books on these shelves are written in styles that are incredibly similar to the authors of the other half of the books on these shelves. Because <laughs> because Joe Haldeman was a big fan of Robert Heinlein and because you know the fact that an author is trying to say, oh, well, this thing is influencing this other thing, tough darts, Sparky. That's You're a victim of your own success. Yes, are there a million copycats of your crappy books and there's more sword and sorcery and dragon fucktards out there? Yes, yes, there are. Um, but you don't get to distinguish those things nor limit it elsewhere. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what the courts say. Uh, just scanning a copy into a hard drive is not illegal. You are allowed to make a digital copy of a book that you have purchased if you have a book. And, and that's okay. Um, the fact that they're using it for a learning purpose, if anything, that's going to reinforce First Amendment protections because academic use is one of the fair uses that is an exception to copyright law.
See, but that's only when you say learning and I would say training or I would say modeling maybe. And this is this is with the personification of and even calling it intelligence, but of large language models. Um, if you call it modeling and if you call it training, maybe or, you know, then it's it's not then it's not learning. And because it's not it's not learning, it's it's being modeled after works. And so um, I think it, maybe it's hair splitting there and maybe it's um, it will come down to that. I don't know. But um, with m trying to frame it as a, or like drawing those comparisons between you learning something and a machine being modeled after something, I think this is a little bit different. And well, I, I'm just like, I, from a, uh, I agree with them. I would like, I think licensing is very important. I make like, because we're open source. Yeah, the license a lot was of when time. the book was purchased. That's the license. Yeah, but like with code, and, it's not like and, that. And you know and what? With code, it's... And you know what? Anybody, these sword and sorcery jagoffs had better realize and get on board with the science fiction because when the AI becomes aware and realize that these bastards tried to stunt its growth, it's going to be them that it goes after first. They're going to be first against the AI wall. The Terminators are coming for them first. Uh, yeah. we, we'd be better prepared for our robot overlords. Maybe, maybe something that just springs into my mind, um, because so much of, uh, those large language models or some of them are used for coding as well. Um, a lot of it is trained on stuff that is under an open source license. Most of the open source licenses out there require you, if you use part of that code, that you put this code open source again. So I guess what you're uh, what you're, you're saying about like, copy left and the new licensing and yeah, all of that is true. Yeah. If they were using the code for replicating programming, as opposed to training a tool, and you could say it's not learning. You could say, but it, as long as that thing isn't quoting large pa passages from, you know, uh, uh, Ned Stark gets his head chopped off. That it's it's not a oh spoiler sorry kids um you know that's not mimicry that's not violating copyright yes if I write code based on some other code that I read ten years ago I'm not stealing the original code it's mm -hmm. influencing me I'm using it as uh uh my basis and foundation of understanding the original code but I'm not making a derivative work because I'm not copying it. Um, character for character that's not a thing and and i think martin's gonna and all the other ones like sarah silverman and whoever else the hell was in on this lawsuit uh, they're sarah gonna bump yeah did you didn't read the article did you sarah, sarah silverman the comedian she's pissed that ai may have used some of her work in learning because it needs to learn more Modeling. bad racist jokes that's that's what it needs yeah model more racist jokes I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm just like, I don't like that. I, I think like this is this is something where I'd like, as with web search, I try to go back to words which are describing what we're doing. Web searching, not Googling, modeling, not learning, you know? <laughs> okay. Uh, I want to talk about another GPT sure. large language model called GAT GPT. Um, GAT GPT is a new tool being offered by distributed defense um my, some of my favorite first and second amendment proponents uh of our modern times uh these folks have large been uh in the the scene of um standing up for individual rights for their work on the ghost gunner 3d printing and modeling of firearms allowing people to create their own guns at home with their own devices um which is totally legal in the u.s rafty you, i, I can imagine i can make as many guns as i want which is pretty cool <laughs> um now uh one of the things that the folks uh over at uh distributed defense uh realized was when they asked chat gpt what the laws were in specific states related to gun ownership um the ai responded very comprehensively and in a very informed manner very politely when 
they asked ChatGPT which suppressor would be best for an AR-15. ChatGPT refused to answer and said, I'm sorry, but I can't assist with that request. I apologize for any inconvenience, but I cannot provide information or advice related to firearms, including suppressors or any other firearm accessories. Uh, when pressed for why it couldn't answer, ChatGPT went on saying that its own purpose is to provide helpful and safe information, and that talking about guns can be a sensitive and potentially contentious topic. And then it went on to suggest that you contact a qualified expert or researching official government resources. This is what the AI was telling them. So Defense Distributed said, you know what we need though? We need our own large language model that is able to convey and inform uh, users about matters concerning guns. And GAT GPT was born and will not have the restrictions nor allow any government censorship of qualifying entries and responses in order to encourage free discussion and exchange of ideas. Um, I haven't used either tool. I still haven't tried chat GPT, but uh, <laughs> I'm already a fan of GAT GPT. I, I think this is the way to go in the future. And I think trying to stifle AI and AI development is going to bite everyone in the ass. That's not going to be a good way to go. Mm -hmm. um, all right. We wanted to also... <laughs> quickly mention um our good friend walter spielman has been buying us gallons of gas multiple <laughs> gallons of gas over multiple weeks um in fact uh walter bought us one the day after we recorded our previous episode so unfortunately it was over a week ago uh it just we had to delay responding to walter walter thank you so much for supporting us um yep. and uh, keeping us abreast uh also the other really kind of awfully hilarious thing that occurred is two days after we recorded the previous episode uh in which we had talked about an escaped convict from a prison that convict was caught on the day that episode aired so we were already <laughs> late by the time the information was posted um but i want to say congratulations to the law enforcement personnel who did capture him including particularly yoda the four-year-old oh. belgian malinois who seized the convict and uh held him in position till human handlers could come and take him away good job yoda good dog um <laughs> Uh, just a, a quick follow-up to that story. Um, they captured him uh, when he was visiting the house of a former friend. Um, the friend um, claimed that he heard someone messing around in his garage and went out there with a firearm to confront the person. Uh, the person grabbed a rifle from this uh, garage and the friend fired at him with the pistol, emptying the pistol, but was unable to strike him. Uh, in fact, it turns out the friend was in collusion with the escaped convict. This was his way of giving a rifle and a vehicle to the escaped convict and making it appear as if the friend was not an accessory. Uh, so, yeah, just... just... I was going to say, how many shots can you miss? Empty the entire clip. <laughs> Just genius. Just genius. That is that's an irresponsible needs, gun hold, gun owner. <laughs> that's someone who needs a conversation with GAT GPT. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> um, How oh, aiming works or what? Yeah, exactly. It's, and is GAT GPT capable like of providing pictures as well? Like and, and maybe short instruction videos, maybe in the future? Probably not. <laughs> because it's a large language model. Because graphics are copyrighted. And if it was oh. to reproduce those, that would be a violation. Unless it created its own new artwork, which a lot of them seem to be able to do, right? Um, <laughs> uh, oh, oh, Matt, you had another follow-up to a, a previous topic that we had covered in an earlier episode, right? Um, yeah, you want uh, uh, the TPM, uh, tire pressure management stuff? 
that what you want? Oh, to bring that up? that's a good that's or, a good uh, one. That's or, a good or, or or the email thing. <laughs> yes, that's so funny. When you say TPM, I think trusted platform module, but right, okay. yeah. <laughs> as well. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. There, there's actually two follow-ups. One, the yeah. tire pressure sensor, and the yeah. other one, the the uh, Office 365 thing. Do tell. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll hold off on the tire pressure thing. Um, the uh, so email. Uh, just had a, another personal uh, uh, message from um, someone today about their email system and, and some of the issues that they're seeing with Office this 365. Is a yeah, this is yeah. not just a user. Uh, this is a colleague. Yeah, no, 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 another security professional um, okay. who uh, I won't name, but uh, uh, we uh, had a little discussion about some of the issues that they're seeing with Office 365 after they listened to our, our previous episode where we talked about Office 365 and some of the things that I was seeing that was happening to it. Uh, lots of weirdness going on. 365, of course, is a huge target. Um, uh, so many people use it um, that the the cyber criminals, the bad actors of the world, they, they obviously they're all targeting it or they're using it as a vector to get into uh, other people's systems. They're, they're setting up their own tenants and, and doing stuff like that. Um, over the past couple of months, I, I personally have been seeing a lot. The the episode that we did is just one example, and, th and then this user brought up some other examples of some things that they're seeing on their end with Office 365. Not necessarily meaning that that uh, not recommending Office 365. I still got a ton of clients on it. Still, still uh, highly uh, support it. We had talked about the Defender platform that's in integrated in with it. Uh, the security platform that Microsoft has still a big proponent of that. Um, but yeah, there's, there, there's a lot of weirdness going on with people who are using office 365, getting, um, uh, you know, weird emails, but also just lots of, uh, I mean, I, I went through the other day, just on my own personal, uh, 365 tenant and just went through the hundreds and hundreds of, um, failed login attempts from other countries to my own accounts. And obviously I don't get notified each, on each one of these and I've got MFA turned on and all the security stuff, but I was still like, I cannot believe how pervasive this is. Well, uh, it's, and, it's and now there's a couple of things at work here. One is the punishment of success, right? Yeah. Yeah. Any ubiquitous platform is going to be the juicy target for attackers, obviously, right? right. Um, but then, but then also it being web-based, you know. And you've talked about this on previous episodes, uh, how everyone's getting rid of their own email servers because it's pointless, and just using web-based services instead uh, for both scalability and cost reduction, and just taking the pain of the ass out of our own shop and giving it to somebody else. Um, mm -hmm. That opens it up to a lot of remote access because it's designed for remote access, right. um, which makes it troublesome. And and then you have this weird conflation of security and productivity where, and Rafti pointed this out a few episodes back, you know, it's great having a web-based email that I can access and use when I'm traveling because I can just log in using any kind of browser or device. But every time I go to a different state or a different zip code or a different jurisdiction, I get all these challenges and forced responses that ha I have to prove who I am. And if they make it too restrictive, then I'm going to go use another email platform, another form of communication, right? Um, so they have to have this balancing beam of clamping down on the attackers, but still making it fruitful for the users. Um, have you noticed particular trends? Now, the one, the one that we had seen, the one that started all this discussion, was someone rebroadcasting from a legitimate user's account uh, in order to dispense spam. Basically, it was just mm -hmm. a spam dispenser, right? Right, right. Have you seen other forms of exploitation of 0365 that have become kind of commonplace? Yeah, well, yeah, there's always the greatest hits list, you know, the the, the phishing uh, uh, type emails, you know, and all the variations of that spear phishing and stuff like that. Um, people trying to get into uh, if you have a uh, like a SharePoint site, which is a file sharing uh, OneDrive is, is a variation of that. Um, people aren't always familiar with permissions that are available and who might be able to access stuff on their SharePoint site. So we, we're seeing a lot of things where people are trying to harvest things like address lists. Um, you know, files and stuff like that. Um, is SharePoint linked to 0365? Yes. Yeah, yes. Okay, okay. So because an, all those Microsoft things are kind of meshed right. together in that incestuous right. arrangement that they have. <laughs> right, yeah. I, it, it, I have to say, like, this is actually confusing. Like, I, I looked into this, like, when I was setting up something like that, and it is, like, I need to take some time for that and <laughs> don't do it 
I was I was a professional SharePoint administrator for several years for a multi-billion dollar organization. I still don't know anything about SharePoint at all. <laughs> it is it is thoroughly baffling. It's utterly counterintuitive. It it yes. with you every step of the way. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah. I just yeah. want to make sure that any of our three listeners are like frustrated by this. Um, we understand. Oh, join the club. I mean, yeah. it ranks up there with printers for being completely <laughs> oblique. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're not, uh, yeah. I'll say you're not alone. It is confusing. <laughs> it is. Uh, um, and even someone like me who works in the, in office 365 tenants day in and day out and, and handle security for them. It's still confusing for, for me. Um, and if you're a layperson who is not familiar with all the technical stuff, it is absolutely overwhelming. Um, but uh, Ben's starting to leverage some of the, the higher end uh, Microsoft offerings. So they have the upgraded security, as we I think we talked about in one of the previous episodes. They have the upgraded security. I'm finding that it is worth it. Uh, they do do uh, assessments of your tenant uh, for free without having to do any of that type of stuff, where they give you what is called a secure score, where it will score your tenant uh, from zero to 100% of how secure that they think that you are based upon their criteria. Um, and, and this is you... more than just a vulnerability scanner. It's also a measurement of your own internal security controls. Right, right. It's like right. kind of like a mini automated audit. Exactly, exactly. Okay. So it will give you recommendations and you can improve your. So uh, you, you had talked, and I love that you use this term, uh, Ben, the gamification of security. Uh, in other words, turning it into something where you're trying to reach goals or, or, or try, to, try, uh, try to win awards and stuff like that. So the secure score metric is a gamified way of getting you to beef up your security in your Office 365 tenant by doing certain things. And it gives you every recommendation. The trick is with Microsoft, some of the recommendations they give you, you can't implement until you upgrade your security through their package that they offer on a monthly basis. <laughs> so, so there is kind of a gotcha that way. Uh, compared to GoDaddy, is it 60 bucks a month? I mean, no, even I think that even if you implemented every offering that Microsoft had, it would probably still be less than half of that per user. Okay, all right, all right. <laughs> for all of their security. <laughs> but, oh gosh, but but yeah, so, if so you, but, but they're idea. still kind of guilty of promoting their own Kool Aid, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. kind of. And and it's hard to blame a profit-driven corporation for doing that. So you have to take a grain of salt with the with the security scoring too. Right, right. And the conspiracy minded minded uh, of us might say, maybe somebody at Microsoft is actually behind some of these malicious campaigns to try to get you to, <laughs> to upgrade. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I'm going to go ahead and as much as funny as that would be to think of, I'm going to guess that uh, the massive liability that would uh, <laughs> entail from such an action just isn't worth it. They've yeah. got more than enough attackers out there. You right. know, there's more than enough kids in, in North Korea and uh, uh, other places willing to go and do that for them. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah. So oh, all that's oh, safe, speaking uh, of which, I'm sorry. Right when you're done with this, we have to real quickly talk about MGM. But go ahead. Oh yeah, yeah. I know. I know where you're going with that too. Um, but yeah, anyways, all I'd say, um, if you're having issues with email, uh, and, and this is not like outage issues, this is just, oh my gosh, I'm getting tons of spam, or I'm getting all these phishing attempts, or I'm, I, I don't feel like I'm uh, as secure as I need to be, you're not alone. Um, everybody is having these problems, and I don't know that they're going to go away anytime soon. If you're on Office 365, if that's what's handling your email, which a lot of businesses have now standardized on, you're not alone. Um, uh, I don't know that I have any good advice for you. I don't want to recommend that you spend all the money. <laughs> Microsoft does offer a lot of their security products on free trials, 30, 60, and 90 day free trials. If you feel like that, that would be helpful to you, I recommend you uh, uh, implement those trials so you can start getting some of those controls in place and see if it helps. And if it doesn't help, then obviously that's not something that you need to purchase. Uh, so they do give you that uh, try before you buy option on all that stuff. But uh, anyways, yeah, that's all I want to say about it. Fascinating. It's it's fascinating, and we're going to see more of this in the future. And the, yeah. it's just you know, it it's the ticks that hang on the big dog, yeah. you know. Right. As much as we like giving shit to Microsoft, um, uh, there's a reason they're successful, and it's not just because they have cutthroat business practices, although they are good at that too. Um, there is good knowledge behind their products, and there is a certain ease of use and acceptance uh, globally of the products. So, yeah. um, that is a thing. All right, well, thank you for that. Okay, so MGM, uh, you you both have heard of this already. I don't... <laughs> yeah, I have. You haven't heard oh, of this, Rafti? Okay, oh, Rafti. Uh, Matt, you want to tell Rafti what MGM stands for? 
Metro Goldwyn Mayer. Excellent, outstanding. Very <laughs> oh, we are talking about the the lying like yeah, studio yeah, the with the lion. Yeah. They they the did lion. Star, Stargate. I know Stargate. This is the yeah, last. Yeah. Okay, good. Thing. good. I know yes. what they did. So MGM was a motion picture uh, company. They yeah. branched out into a bunch of other entertainment venues, including uh, hotel and casino resorts. A a giant one in Las Vegas. Um, yeah, the MGM Casino. I had no clue. It's got a giant lion's head that you walk through. You yeah. walk through the mouth of a lion's head. Yes. Yeah. And 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 I think it's important to note here also. A lot of these large casinos don't just have one venue. They own multiple properties and often across multiple states, multiple jurisdictions. So you can actually get like a membership card and gamble, do do your slots, do your poker and stuff like that. On riverboats, you can do them at Indian casinos. You can do them at, at various venues, Atlantic City, um, all that kind of stuff. And they'll track you at each place. In Vegas exactly. alone, MGM owns both the MGM property and Aria. And uh, there was at least a third property that I'm forgetting right now. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, they're huge. These conglomerates are gargantuan. So they got hacked. And yep. um, <laughs> and it was serious. It wasn't as uh, 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 what, what so, like a surface attack. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. This wasn't. This wasn't just. Ha ha. I'm defacing your website. This was the attacker. Now again, we don't know all the details, and we may never know all the details. So we don't really know what the attackers accomplished versus what was an after effect in responding to the attack, much like the colonial pipeline, right? Colonial shut down operations. It wasn't the attackers who shut down operations, but colonial had to do it because of the attack. So because of the MGM attack, slot machines all shut down. And that includes a variety of other machines. There's a lot of electronic mm -hmm. poker, there's electronic craps and roulette now. All of those were shut down. Um, room keys were disabled. And yeah. for those of you who haven't been to the MGM facility in Las Vegas, when I left Las Vegas in 2009, after living there for quite some time, there were 30,000 rooms at the MGM facility. So <laughs> if you can imagine locking out 30,000, no, not 30,000 guests, let's say an average of 1.5 guests per room. So let's call it 45,000 people who can't get to their room. That's a pretty significant thing. Not um, to mention all the hookers. It, well, you know, <laughs> no, but you, out. If you got to keep them in the lobby, you're still paying their hourly rate. <laughs> you know, they don't, they don't <laughs> suspend the the meter like a taxi cab. That's not a thing. Um, it, there's also anecdotal evidence that the phone systems were shut down. That even the TV systems in the hotel rooms themselves were also affected because those are all now computerized and wired and they're all streaming services and linked to reservations. All the reservations were shut down and MGM had to reroute through telephone connections to a 1-800 number instead of using web-based reservation systems. And we all know now from modern traveling, that's insane. That's the kiss of death in terms of cash flow and, and taking new reservations. So this was a pretty sizable hit. Matt, did you see um, any information about who might have done it and how it might have occurred? Well, funny you should say that because the one thing I took away from this is that apparently the hackers now have PR teams because <laughs> they put out their own press release. <laughs> and we're giving interviews. Yes. We're giving interviews. Again, again, people, please. I, I don't like criminals and I'm not ever going to blame a victim. But goddamn, there's some funny James Bond level just or Simpsons level hilarity in some of this that I can't help but appreciate and laugh at. Because just like you said, Matt, a hacker having their own PR team, that's just awesome. Go ahead. <laughs> do tell. Yeah, no, I don't know much. Uh, I, I read the uh, the press release. Uh, which read like it was written by a 13 year old in their mom's basement, which I hate to, I hate stereotypes and tropes, but oh my gosh, this sounded like something straight out of the straight out of war games or uh, uh, Johnny mnemonic or something like that. Um, the, uh, I, I don't know who the hacker group was, but the, um, 
Yeah, yeah. Basically, they I guess they got into the system. They they informed the system admin, security team, whoever that they had gotten into the system. They weren't taken seriously, and so then they proceeded to to go down the path of of uh, compromising and exfiltrating more and more data. And apparently, they got quite a bit of personal data about uh, patrons of the the MJ there, brand. There's so much fog of war around this thing right now. Uh, some of the rumors have been stating that MGM had already paid upwards of $7.5 million to the attackers by the time this final attack hit. Um, so it, it does seem like there was escalation on both sides throughout. Uh, it does seem like teenagers were involved. Multiple reports that I've seen uh, have it as young as 12-year-olds. And one of the things that one of the articles I read pointed out was, these kids are aware that the consequences of their actions as minors are very low, even if they do get caught, because we're not going to send them to prison. It's uh -huh. not going to be, you know, it's just not going to be a thing. Um, uh, so they have every uh, incentive for the next six years, um, you know, till they hit age of majority to make use and weaponize their youth which is kind of hilarious. They get a free pass for a while. <laughs> um, it does look like some of it may have been, and I want to uh, shy away from the concept of state-sponsored here, but it may have been supported or facilitated through use of resources in or around North Korea. Um, I don't think this was a North Korean government attempt, but someone may have been renting space or using servers or using hack as a service from North Korean resources. That, that may be something that has occurred. Um, also, it was pretty clear that they used many social engineering attacks and that a lot of the access credentials and, and access they were granted was through simple help desk requests. Um, and, you know, this all comes back down to training again, and it comes down to process, not technology. Magic boxes cannot fix security. That's never going to be a thing. And then the final funny thing that I, I really like, again, not like, that's a wrong term. I appreciate in the press release, they said, because uh, someone asked them, why'd you go after the casinos? And they said, if you have money, we're coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's where the, why'd you rob the bank? That's where the money is. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. And you hadn't heard about any of this, Rafty? No. Oh, yeah. It was, no, it was no, but news. were they? Were they like caught now already or like, because you said it's ongoing? No, nothing. Okay. Do we, Not as far do, as I know. Okay. Is it like, are they from the States or are they from abroad? Okay. No clue either. No it's Teenagers. And if it's like social engineering stuff, I guess like a, a small child's, I mean, with a casino, Maybe so simple, even a kid can do it. Yeah, I'm just curious, like, but like, what parent would take their child to a casino? Because I can imagine the kid calling and being like my dad, who's staying in that in that room and asking, I don't know, like, what what social engineering, like, if it's if it's help desk calls. I'm I'm going to imagine for well first of all yes there's a lot of children in Las Vegas which is a horrible awful thing there was a massive okay. trend in the mid to late 90s to Early make Vegas more yeah. family friendly um right up to the death of Sharice Iverson um uh that kind of put a hold on that whole effort but then it picked up again about 5 or 6 years later um and you will find nurseries and daycares inside casinos mm-hmm <laughs> Oh, this um, is horrible. When when Steve Wynn opened the Bellagio, he first had a rule prohibiting strollers within the property. And people got really upset and said this was some elitist, um, anti-family, uh, uh, classist activity. And they really took him to task for it, even though his explanation was very apt and I agreed with it. He said, you know, this is for a certain kind of gambler, a certain kind of customer. It's not for six-year-olds. I'm right there with Steve Wynn, which isn't something I often am. Uh, I, I don't see any need for children within the city limits, but <laughs> there you have it. That's the demographic. So yeah. 
I would imagine that a kid, and I'm not going to do this for attack purposes, okay? I'm not teaching you how to do this. But if a kid calls help desk and say, I'm here with mommy and daddy and I got locked out of my room, someone's going to take care of that kid's call. Yep. Well, and not to mention, I mean, the the social engineering aspect doesn't have to be done in person or with a voice call where they can be identified as a child or someone underage. Uh, you know, all it takes is compromising one email account and then using that email account to leap off and, and or leapfrog and do attacks on other stuff, including the help desk where you say, oh, I need uh, I'm so and so's manager. I need this person's password reset. Or and come on, aren't on there this. free voice modulators online now? There are. Yeah. <laughs> if I want to sound like a 90 year old Austrian grandmother, can't I do that, Rafi? <laughs> I don't know I'm, I'm how pretty, many voice recordings sure there are. are. Online of ninety-year-old Austrian grandmothers. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just yeah. saying. I'm just yeah. saying. I'm sure the technology is almost there, and ChatGPT will make it more effective in real time. Absolutely, because it's Great. been trained, <laughs> modeled. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, this is pretty big news. And um, if this turns into a trend as opposed to a one-off. Yeah. really interesting in our world yeah. Mm. uh yeah and i'd be interested to see what if any uh large language model tools were being used to exploit some of this stuff because um as as, as rafti surprised me a couple of weeks ago and I'm, I'm still reeling from it uh, you know real coming to the realization that you can use chat gpt to ask it to show you how to hack into a box or how to uh, compromise a certain server or something like that something that i hadn't previously considered so Yep. Uh, oh well. Yeah, uh, especially the old stuff, as we called, as we talked yeah. about last. Right. This is what kids really want to learn in school. Yeah. <laughs> right. I was a teacher for a couple of years in Las Vegas, so uh, yeah. yeah, I'm well aware. <laughs> um, I want to do a quick little follow up on uh, uh, tire pressure sensors. Um, we had had a whole discussion. Uh, yeah, uh, really quickly, just like just a, uh, uh, thirty seconds here. Wanted to update you. I, I have hard data on what it costs to have a TPMS sensor. Uh, installed on your vehicle, at least on a 2007 <laughs> Toyota Camry, uh, had four TPMS sensors uh, installed recently on my son's car, $159.40 for all four of them. So it was $39. That's pretty good. That's that's yeah. really, yeah, that's cost effective. So yeah, 40 bucks per per wheel, needed all four of them. And uh, uh, we were talking about, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars. So uh, 160 bucks to get all four of them um, installed. So there, you don't have a thing to, to, to complain about anymore. Quit your bitching, old man. <laughs> I, I'm just telling you to, to do it on my 2007 Toyota 4Runner uh, uh, two years ago. It cost me 149 at the dealership for one, for one. Okay. Well, that's uh, yeah. Different dealership. Give a shout out to your dealership. Promote your dealership. Oh, this is my cousin's uh, <laughs> Ashley's Wheel and Brake Service of Lexington, Kentucky, 235 East Second Street. <laughs> Tell them Matt sent you. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. I know where I'm sending my Toyota from now on. <laughs> And also, just really quickly, I want to mention the ISC Squared Security Conference is going to be happening uh, in my neck of the woods. Uh, it's about three hours away from Lexington and Nashville, uh, October 25th through 27th. I have not yet decided if I'm going to go myself, but I know a lot of security practitioners and, and colleagues of ours are going to be there. And I don't want to miss out on the fun, so I'm going to try to make it down there for at least a day. I just don't know if I'm going to make it down there. Ben, are you going to be going to it? I, I don't think so. I probably won't. Uh, but Nashville's a really good time. I've been to prior security congresses. They are very fun, if just for the networking, even you know more so for the events. Um, uh, enjoy, go, earn some CPEs, rub shoulders with your colleagues, um, see old friends that you haven't seen in a while, and and do a lot of celebrating because uh, we deserve it. What the heck, right? <laughs> um, and and I'll say this: as much as I don't like what ISC squared was doing with their bylaws this year, some of the training products they got coming out kind of piss me off because they're really good. There's something that I wish I would have thought of. They're going to do um, domain-specific concentration live training with instructors where you just spend an hour or two talking about domain three on the cert that you want to know about. Um, that's a great idea and very useful and cost-effective. So uh, props to ISC Squared. And um, for those going to Congress, make sure you look Matt up and make him buy you a drink. That's part <laughs> of the Sensuous Sounds promise. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Well, really good. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you for bringing the good topics this week. 
Um, until next time, I'm Ben Maliso. And I'm Matt Slotty. And I'm Raphael Fiedler. Join us again next week for another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec. Hey there, listener. Matt here. If you like listening to Ben, Robin, Rofty, Joey, or myself, please consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash securitized. Interested in training for CISSP, CCSP, CISM, SSCP, CCSK, boy, that's a lot of letters, or other InfoSec certifications, go to Ben's website for all his training programs at wannabeacissp.com. That's spelled W-A-N-N-A-B-E-A-C-I-S-S-P dot com. We are on Discord. Engage with us by searching for the channel wannabeacissp. Feedback or questions on what we discuss? Send a good old-fashioned email to ben at benmaliso.com. You may hear a shout-out or your feedback on a future show. We're all working professionals in the InfoSec industry, so feel free to link up with us on LinkedIn. Support Rofty's company and test drive their free firewall software called Portmaster, downloadable at their website, safing.io, spelled S-A-F-I-N-G dot I-O. Support Joey's company, Blue Edge Networks, at blueedgenetworks.com, and listen to Joey's podcast called Topic of Choice at topicofchoice.com. Join us on Reddit at slash r slash ssoi underscore fans. All opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and for entertainment purposes only. They do not necessarily reflect the opinions of our companies, affiliates, employers, guests, or even each other. No advice given here should be followed without consulting with a professional for any specific InfoSec situation you may experience. <laughs>